Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome along to Midweek Motorsport. Would you believe we've rocked up at Series 15, Episode 41, as we're just after 8 o'clock UK time. That's just after 3 if you are on the East Coast. Do the rest of the arithmetic yourself. So another two hours stretching ahead of us uh, here for our weekly get-together. Thank you for joining us, uh, particularly for those of you joining us live this week. Uh, and on a packed programme tonight, Tim Greer, we have what? Uh, we have all the usual features. We'll be uh, looking back at last weekend, looking ahead to this weekend. We've got all the news on two wheels and four. And we'll be joined uh, by Nick Damon for some of that. We've also got a big interview. Uh, am I allowed to we say are. who that is? Uh, yes, you can. From North Carolina, joining us uh, on the line will be... John Bennett. The man at the head of Core Autosports. Got a lot of questions for him. Uh, one or two people had seen that he was on the show because the ever-efficient Aaron Chetchell, who uh, looks after their PR, uh, was tweeting out. So we've got some questions that have come in. So we uh, will be asking those about LMP3, about Porsche and GT, LM, and uh, about the general state of the, the industry at the moment. Uh, can't wait. I've spoken to John for a very, very long time, uh, so I'm very much looking forward to that. He has a huge amount of enthusiasm. Perfect, perfect subject for a big interview. Shall I do some parish notices? Yes, please do. Chris Suku, partial EFAs, multitasking, doing a work project while listening to the show. Probably won't be able to do both being male. Might have to have a proper listen again tomorrow, uh, he says. I quite like that. That's funny. Um, it's not true, though, of course. Oh, sorry, I was just typing something there and I, I couldn't speak at the same time. Um, and also, hello to Right Turn lovers. EFAs again, the novelty of being able to spend Wednesday with my mum is still not worn off. And neither should it, RTL. Uh, and hello to your mum when you listen to the podcast, uh, by the way. Good luck with the early telephone conversation tomorrow with the Kiwis. Kevin Payne listening live tonight but keeping on an eye on England versus Denmark. Nothing much happening there uh, at the moment. Great, the court autosport are back with LMP3 uh, as well. Thanks, Kevin. It's at Specky Tim, by the way, if you'd like to get through. Alexander Orpin is also partial EFA. Says Chris Sugu, clearly my doppelganger. I'm on a small sh project. Looking forward to a fun, however much of a show I get to. Always available on the archive, of course. Brody EFA's tonight. Exam on Friday, so a spot of revision podcast at work tomorrow afternoon. It is a well-known fact 
by the way, Brody, that listening to Midweek Motorsport whilst you revise and then playing it again before you go into your exam will get you a better result. No doubt about it. Uh, the Colonel says, no AFAs tonight. Uh, Lewis showing his class again at the weekend despite F1 throwing a rather long safety car. Oh, don't get me started on that. I, I don't get the inconsistencies. Don't worry, I'll Michael fade you Massey. down when we talk about that with Nick Damon I, later. I, I, I'm so annoyed about that. I think, they, I think Michael Massey's been very, very poor with his officiating in terms of his consistency. And I don't care if somebody tells him. Um, Kevin Payne, no, we've done that one. Uh, what else? Uh, Save Phil tonight. Charlotte Rove will get a mention. Still in sleep deprivation, but totally worth it. It was, wasn't it? Michael Wallace says, has to be a sign that Ims is doing something right to get caught Autosport back in the fort. Uh, and uh, hopefully, let's see if we can get Colin Brown back in the series. That would be a win. Michael Wallace, AFA's from Canada work, getting in the way, catching up on the... Uh, weekly uh, doors, sanity doors. Uh, sanity is a loose term, of course, when RC Racing is involved. Yes, absolutely, Michael. Uh, well, catch up on the podcast then. Wearing my Haggerty Radio Le Mans shirt that I won by entering the Haggerty competition during the Le Mans 24 weekends is Daniel Summersgill. Uh, and he has provided pictures, which I have retweeted. Hello to Oliver Giles. Apologies. Studying in preparation for more uh, upcoming exercise courses, but I'll be. Uh, downloading and listening to the podcast before the podcast before the weekend, the Taylor Mon coverage, which starts early in the week actually. Uh, Ian McCarthy listening live this evening with the first fire of the season list. Oh, very good. Superb coverage of events from two new circuits last weekend. That's a good point, Ian. Had thought of that. It's, it'll have been a long time since we've had two separate events from two brand new circuits at the weekend. That I'm not classing Charles as a brand new circuit. It was a new configuration. We've never covered live sport from there before. Uh, on the oh, LMS radio different. network, we did a different version. But oh, it's very different, in, in very much the same place. Right. It's like saying the Silverstone um, wet race in 2013 was different from the Silverstone... Um, um, LMS race. LMS race in... 20. It's not though, because it was substantially different that infield complex. But, but I, I take I take your point. Uh, Matt Horty Hawkins says slightly late tonight. Just walked in the door after leaving at 10 a.m. this morning. All for the love of sports photography. Matt, where have you been? And quickly get a couple of uh, sports photographs up so we can have a look, please. Portugal this evening. Uh, has announced today gatherings will be limited to five people from Thursday. This is breaking news. No word yet on the implications for the ELMS or Formula One. Mm, we'll keep across that, see if we get some more news. Add Spec Entertainment if you'd like to get in touch with us. Lots of sports car news tonight. Shuffle your papers, Tim, and play the jingle. Let's get to the top story. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. So, what is the top story tonight? We're going to start tonight with European Le Mans Series. Ah. Because uh, we have a champion already with one race to go, and that is United Autosport. The 22 car of Phil Hansen and Philippe Albuquerque uh, took pole position and then won the race. Uh, Although it wasn't a 
lights to flag leading all the time uh, kind of race. If you've seen it, you'll know exactly what uh, I mean by that. Uh, if you haven't, you can also always go on the archive yes, on, on our monster page. On our um, yes, on our monster page, which is still on the front page uh, at radio-show.co.uk. Although if you listen to this on the podcast, it might have slipped off the front page by then. Uh, this was the third uh, win of the season for that pairing uh, and the team's fourth uh, out of four uh, which is a new record by the way is it? yes no no team had previously uh, won four consecutive ELMS races the previous record was three and was held by whom? Uh, in ELMS? yes in the top class? yes Overall wins. Overall wins. Was it three by United Autosports? It was United Autosport, yes. Yes. That was, you tried to trick me there and take me off down a, a different little garden path. I, I did suggest that we should um, get uh, Philippe Albuquerque's big interview tonight, but uh, I'm conscious of the fact that we have had quite a lot of United Autosport people <laughs> on as big interviews this year, um, with justification, because they do keep winning lots of things. Exactly right. Um, and uh, big motorsport is a not... meritocracy. Yeah, but big interviews don't necessarily do that. I mean, as a news item, I think, you know, probably get them on, uh, maybe get them on before Portugal, if Portugal happens, and have them have some thoughts of the season. Or maybe get uh, Phil and, and Philippe on um, for our season review that might be worthwhile indeed well let's get them on right now and uh, find out what they sat, had to say after the race uh, just speechless to be honest it's it's just a dream I just uh, I'll have this guy to the rest of my life in my memory because uh, we I think what we did is just incredible Phil unremarkable all season amazing job uh, in the beginning it was tricky for him and for everyone but there is no words. I mean, it's the fourth, third win of the of the year in LMS, and we win it before the last race. It's just uh, congratulations to United. It, I don't feel massively happy because I feel like I really let everyone down in the first corner, but we, we clawed it back throughout the whole race, and we had the pace, and um, and yeah, it was just remarkable that we came back and won just like Paul Ricard. So yeah, just massive thank you to to United. They've done a great job over the last three years, and my dad as well. Uh, so that Hansen was, of course, Philippe first and, uh, Philippe and then Howard Philippe Kirk. afterwards. Yes. yes, in that order. Uh, we have uh, learnt over the weekend of the 2021 uh, provisional European Le Mans series calendar, which Some controversy here? I don't think it does. It begins with a prologue and the first race, which will take place over the weekend to the 17th and 18th of April at the Circuit of Catalonia. Uh, and then they move on to uh, the Red Bull Ring. Yeah. Uh, a month or four weeks after that, and then they have a little break because Le Mans is in June, and then they go to Monza on July the ninth and tenth. Uh, and then September they go to Spa, which is on the eighteenth and nineteenth. Uh, and then they go to Portimao on the 23rd and 24th of October. 
I think I've missed one, but I can't see where. It's normally um, it's normally six, isn't it? Paul Rickard is the other oh, one they course. do, which is 27th and 28th of August. Uh, and that, of course, is all provisional, um, given the issues at the moment with uh, coronavirus, of course. But it's good to see people at least trying to stick a, a flag in the sand. Um, just trying to get some more news about this Portugal uh, breaking news for sporting events. Uh, gatherings limited to five people from Thursday, says uh, Prime Minister Antonio Costa. Um, uh, of course, uh, potentially there is one more ELMS race this year, which is in Portugal. Uh, exactly Portugal at the point. end of this month. Uh, if it happens, you can hear it live here on the RSL Network with Johnny Palmer and Bruce Jones. I was going to say trackside. They might not be. <laughs> no, <laughs> let's, let's move on to some other calendar news. All right, uh, including the ratification oh, uh, by the uh, FIA World Motorsport Council last week of the 2021 Provisional World Endurance Championship calendar. And do you know what? I missed this completely at the weekend because I put, forgot to put my, um, paper in the fax machine. Ah. I'm really annoyed with myself. Um. We've already talked about what that calendar is going to be when it was uh, first announced uh, as a provisional calendar, and uh, the ratifications show no changes to that. So we won't uh, go any further into that at the moment. But uh, the 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 uh, what I was saying about it being controversial is that neither the ELMS or the WEC are coming to the UK as it stands at the moment. No, and reasonably. Um, fans, both British and other European fans, are a bit disappointed by that because they tend to get pretty good. It's uh, what the British fans voted for, John. Have to respect the will of the people. How was that? I don't want How to be in Europe anymore. Ah, right. So we can't be in the European Le Mans series. All right, okay. But we still are in the world, aren't we? So we still could be in the World Endurance Championship. Yes. I don't think we voted to leave the world. And in fact, we we, we only well voted done. to leave the EU. We're actually still geographically in Europe, of course, mm. and will remain so. Uh, the FIA World Motorsport Council also uh, approved uh, next year's World Rally Championship calendar. It's going to be even more difficult. Uh, which currently looks like this. Monte Carlo, Sweden, Croatia, Portugal, Italy, Kenya... Estonia, Finland, United Kingdom, Chile, Spain, and Japan. Norfolk, Sarah, Southford, Sarah. However, yes, uh, because they're concerned that one or more of these events might not take place, they have some on a reserve list. Oh, I like that idea. Which how, are how long do you think the reserve list is? How many events? Five. Higher. Six. Six. So, potentially, wow. the World Rally Championship might also visit Turkey, Latvia, Belgium, Argentina, Greece, and Italy. Are they in order of the way they would be used? Or are they yes, uh, they're in right. calendar order, if that's... Um, so, if, for example, we were to lose Monte Carlo or Sweden, then yep. Turkey would take place. Oh, I see. So the 
they have each of the reserves have a time frame to which they apply. Yes, because each of these reserves will still go ahead as a rally. It just won't be a round of the world championship. Got you. I see. Oh, I see. Very good. So Very good. Depending on that's actually really sensible, it's isn't a really it? Sensible idea. It's like if they were to cancel um, or have to cancel a round of the World Endurance Championship, let's say Sebring, then mm-hmm. they could use a round of the European Le Mans series to take its place. Yes. Yeah. If only they uh, were thinking in the same way in sports cars as they were in rallying. Uh, well, uh, Gerard Navarro's already said that there is a replacement event, uh, a plan B, if you will, if Sebring can't happen. Um, so, uh, and and of course, it would it wouldn't have to be as far apart. So it wouldn't have to happen in March. Correct. The next event is Spa in April, and you were the one that pointed this out. And I'll give you great credit for this because I hadn't thought of that, and I'm not sure many other people had either until you mentioned it a few weeks ago on Midweek Motorsport. I suspect so, that uh, Gerard Never has very much thought about it. Uh, well, I I suspect you're right, but no, the commentary had mentioned it because people were saying, "Where would you go in Europe in March?" Well, of course, it doesn't have to be March. It, you just have to be somewhere near within a truck drive of of Spa in April. So there's plenty of places in mainland Europe or even offshore, you know, in this that little island that we are on um, that you might be able to go to then. Yes. Donington, I reckon. Donington. Donington in April. I don't think Donington suits sports cars. I loved it. it would, I, I'd rather it wasn't on the long circuit though, on the short circuit. It would oh, be the brilliant. long circuit's rubbish for everything. It only exists because MotoGP said the short one was too short. Yeah. I agree. What about... Uh, Anglesey, Anglesey would be good. I'd like to see them there. Again, I think it's too narrow for sports cars. Ah, just a bit more of a challenge. You just won't get any overtaking. Knock Hill? Hill. I mean, Porsches are always spectacular around Knock Hill. I'd love to see <laughs> LMP1 cars around Knock Hill. I Tom Aaron, if you're listening. The uh, LMP1 <laughs> cars would get to the bottom of the hill and then find it very difficult to get any further. Uh, or they might just launch off the top of it. It would be magnificent. Uh, Tom Aaron um, would be uh, interesting. Tom Aaron, if you aren't following at Noramot on Twitter, pops up once in a while with some brilliant uh, races that might have happened had there only been slight typos and things like that. They are very good. I think he does them on project cars. Very good indeed. A couple of new Uh, ones recently which are very funny. I did like the bus one. I did like the bus one. Um, that was very good. Uh, well, Moving we've, on. We've still got a lot more to discuss from the World Motorsport Council. Well, uh, if you're going to play that then... Yes. Which is Jeux en Frontier. Yes. Then, surely, uh, if you fade that out gently now, I'll I'll see your Jeux en Frontier and give you Games Without Frontiers by Peter Gabriel. Yes. I've got a lovely live version of this. We'll get rid of that and we'll take okay. back the Herb Alpha version. What's that actually called? Do you know that? It's called Beanbag. It is called Beanbag. Well done. 
Well done. Everybody just knows it as the uh, Jeux en Frontier. It's a knockout. Why uh, am I playing this anyway, John? Um, because Games Without Frontiers. Is it It's a Knockout or is it Games Without Frontiers? It's, it's a Knockout. What What can you do in It's a Knockout that you, you can, can also now do in the World Rally Championship? Yes, you can. Of course. That was in the Mini Marathon or the Phil Rouge, as it was called. Although, why they called it the Phil Rouge? I'm not entirely certain. Phil Rouge is, is the red kite, isn't it? Something like that. But it was called the Mini Marathon in the UK version. And Eddie Waring, who was a well-known rugby, rugby league commentator, famous for his up and under, uh, he was the commentator. You could play your joker uh, in any of the games, actually, but not the Mini Marathon. Uh, yes, you doubled your points, didn't you? Yes. So what's this that you, you actually do have a joker to play on a particular rally? If you have entered with a Rally 2 car... Yes. Then you can play your Joker by using previously homologated parts as a way of reducing costs. Sorry, I thought, what, previously homologated? So you would go back an iteration? Yes. Why would you do that? It won't be as quick. Yeah, but you might have a load of spares in the garage which are sitting there depreciating. Uh, and what does playing the Joker mean? You double your points, but only if you've got old parts on your car. No, you don't double your points. You're just not going to get thrown out by the scrutineers. Well, why would you get thrown out anywhere if they're homologated parts? Because you've since homologated with newer parts. Oh, I see. Oh, that's pointless. On the subject of cost-cutting... <laughs> really? Uh, Formula E uh-huh. has announced some new rules designed to cut costs. Uh, they're going to race the whole season at a well-known Berlin airport. No. What's the most important thing about cost-cutting, John? It has to cut costs. What are the Formula E cost-cutting measures not going to do? Cut costs? Indeed. Uh, the FIA <laughs> even don't call them cost-cutting. They call them cost-consolidation. Oh, really? In the oh, same way that... In the 90s, companies uh, often consolidated their staff by yes. sacking them. Mm. Uh, or consolidated their debt. You could do that even. Uh, mm. let, let's see how they're going to uh, s- try and save money. Well, right. they're going to shorten qualifying from right. six minutes to four minutes. And that cuts how much cost? Well, according to the teams, none at all. Exactly. Um, they've also so decided that each entry nice. will now no, now use no more than one vehicle control unit software update per competition. Right. How many are they using at the moment? Well, some teams have been... Uh, applying last-minute software updates pretty much every weekend. Um, Depending on the circuit. The thing is, this is going to save money for the uh, technical delegate because they're struggling to keep up with all keep these up with it. last-minute yeah. software and, changes. And make sure that they're legal sure that and homologous. cheating, yes. Yes, exactly. You can't say cheating. Not allowed to say cheating. Exploiting the... Like Rule book going going beyond the terms and conditions of the rules as set out by the 
sporting, sporting regulations. Uh, yeah. Exploiting the fact that there aren't <laughs> enough technical delegates, possibly. Right, got you. Okay. Um, Why don't they just say that there's a certain time by which your updates have got to be in, and beyond that time, you can't do anything? That would make it easier. Mm. Uh, they've also uh, reduced the number of sensors that the data acquisition Good. software can use. Good. Can we do that in Formula One as well, please? Uh, they're allowed one in each corner of the car, but there's no <laughs> restriction on what they can sense. So you could be sensing suspension and brakes and um, tyre pressure all with the same sensor. Now, how, Which but just the means thing, you're the going to be thing, spending more money on expensive sensors. The, the only thing that really saves money in motorsport is making you use l- less or fewer of something. Mm-hmm. So fewer tyres, for fuel. example. Uh, less fuel. Well, that's not so much of an issue with Formula E because it's all generated from big diesel generators out the back. Um, and so that's not going to change. Um, or... Be spend fewer days at the venues. So if you were, I mean, they already mostly do a single day event, don't they? Yes, they have had some double headers, and obviously the sextuple header at Berlin this year, but that's not normal. But uh, doubling up, actually, in some respects, could save money because you would get two events for the price of setup of one, yes. at least. And and you're only travelling once. You're only travelling once, you're only setting up the circuit once, which giving that the, the biggest costs, uh, which, if they were borne by the championship, would be the setup and breaking down of the tracks themselves. Yeah, they for, have for to the be teams, the time. biggest cost would definitely be logistics. Logistics, exactly. So keep them all in a smaller area. Don't go outside of, let's say, Europe, where you can drive anywhere, so there's no flying involved for all the bits and pieces, and spend... Uh, Less time at the track. Um, Remember, this is now an FIA World Championship, so uh, they do have to visit at least three continents. Except they don't, because that's been waived at the moment. At the moment, it has, yes. Yeah, so, you know. Uh, Shall we do some tweets? Yes. Uh, uh, Where were we? Uh, Matt Hawkey Hawkins has sent me a fabulous shot from a King's Limb Soccer match, football game, nice work from him. Sarah Rigby at Spectatainment tuned in. What a great IMSA race last weekend for the Heart of Racing at uh, Charlotte. Wishing them good luck for the Petit Le Mans this weekend when Darren Turner will be uh, joining them. It is going to be, uh, as we said at the weekend, it's going to be a pretty late evening, stroke morning for those of you listening in uh, Europe because it is starting a couple of hours later than normal. Hello to Michael Wallace. He says, apparently when the cats are where the mice will play, uh, but every time you say COVID, I've got to have a drink. So pace it, please. Well, every time I say COVID. Wow. Does that just apply when John says COVID or when I say COVID as well? And what about he if Nick Damon it. later on was to say COVID? No, he just says if I say COVID. We may have lost Michael already under the table by now. Uh, Tom Firth. Well, yes. Tom Firth says, is Motor GP... Uh, to consider the Portuguese, uh, there is MotoGP to consider uh, on the Portuguese ban if it applies to sports events. The responsible adults already on this. No words yet about sporting events, says Eve. But reading the advice, you would say it was impossible to stage one. Certainly, it would have to be behind closed doors. 
Uh, ooh, says, ooh, ooh, can I play the music? Come on then. And when we get behind closed doors, and she lets her hair hang down, and she makes me glad that I'm a man. And can we have the Charlie Rich version in the future, please? I, 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 At I some do point like in the future, yes. I do like Sir Tom Jones, but I really like the Charlie Rich version of that much better. Uh, Alan Prosser says, how about LMP1 at Thruxton? That would be good as mm. well. Even GT3 uh, cars don't race at Thruxton. True. Uh, World Superbike meant to be at Estoril this Sunday for the title-deciding fi- finale. Good point. Very good point. Oh, well, Johnny uh, Ray. Won't be able to lift his trophy to circuit. That's... Mm. Uh, at Specutainment, if you uh, would like to get in touch with us, please. We'll keep across that. The uh, Portuguese, what we're talking about is the Portuguese Prime Minister, Antonio Felix da Costa. Oh, no, sorry, just Antonio da Costa. Although we've got some Antonio Felix da Costa news to come. Later. Antonio Costa uh, announced today gatherings limited to five people from tomorrow. No word yet on uh, sporting events, although Eve has read the advice and says it's in her uh, in her words it would be impossible to stage using the advice that's been published and it would certainly have to be behind closed doors i was panned all the way over to the other side all right let's introduce our formula one correspondent nick damon now hello tim hello john hello everybody uh, which means we're going to talk about formula one hooray hurrah and hurroo even uh, it was the Eiffel Grand Prix at the weekend. It was, and it wasn't awful, the Eiffel Grand Prix. It wasn't. <laughs> uh, now, a couple of weeks ago, we made a big thing about this weekend, uh, the the Eiffel Grand Prix weekend, uh, giving us a chance to see in free practice uh, Callum Eilert and Mick Schumacher. How did they get on, Nick? They both put on their overalls. They both seemed to fit very, very well. Um, I thought they did some excellent chatting with the mechanics. There was some good, uh, later on the weekend, some excellent leaning over the pit wall action as well. Um, just not actually getting any in the car and driving um, due to the fact that fog at Nürburgring, Kel surprise in late November or mid-November, uh, curtailed all the running on Friday. So in October, Nick. Is it? Blimey. Well, that's, 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 that's that year gone then. <laughs> uh, but you're right, it was very foggy, wasn't it? It was more fog than Gaza used to sing about, which uh, would be further north. Yes, only just. <laughs> um, they'd have been better off in Enna, wouldn't they? Realistically, they'd been better off anywhere. But I, don't, I mean, I think you know, it ended up being cold and damp and occasionally rainy, which. I would suspect is what most people would have thought would have happened at the Nürburgring, to be honest. That's what you get. I mean, so therefore, that's good. That's what they wanted. That's what they got. And that's what they should have expected. A bit unfortunate about the fog and the medical, medical helicopter not being able to take off, which lost Friday. It wasn't actually the visibility. It was the visibility for the helicopter, not the drivers, um, which perhaps could have been foreseen. And in the past, they have had the same problem with smog in China. And they've had a fast, rapid road response where they've actually brought a... Uh, basically a portable ICU much nearer the track because the nearest hotel with full ICU 
uh, facilities is based in Cologne, which is 45 minutes away, which is beyond the distance. They actually actually had done it before, bought a portable one closer. But they didn't do that. They were going to do that. It was still foggy on Saturday, but they didn't think about doing it for Friday. Uh, who is going to get um, a test in the future at Alpha Tauri? In the future, well, I assume is it, is it is it Mick again, or are we talking about um... not Alpha Tauri? Oh, Alpha Tauri, sorry, to me Alpha. It's 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 Yuki Sonoda, who's actually getting a two-year-old run, running a two-year-old car, first week in November. And the idea of that is to get his 300 kilometers up, so just be t- just be running around in the 2018 car, and then he is penciled in for the post. Abu Dhabi young driver test, which obviously that's the young driver test that uh, Renault are trying to get Fernando Alonso into. Hmm. Uh, and he may get FP1, but they haven't committed to that yet. I assume that would depend on how things are going with Honda and whether they're buying the IP of the engine, therefore need to keep them sweet, or they're not, in which case I don't care. And on the subject of Fernando Alonso, he was testing yesterday. He was. He did 100 kilometres on pretend tyres, racing drones at Barcelona. And it was, I'm sure, a magnificent PR exercise uh, to back up the PR exercise of actually getting the podium at the weekend. But yeah, I mean, you know, he's there, he's up and running. There's going to be less pre-season testing next year. It wasn't only six days this year. There's going to be three days next year. So you have less time actually in the car uh, prior to whenever the season starts in 2021. Um, currently slated to start in Australia in March, which is never going to happen given the current situation. So let's see what happens from that point. Um, but yeah, so he's up, up, up and running and, and, in, and in the outfit. He said the car was outperforming him. Yeah, he was saying. I think he's just saying he's slightly out of, out of physical shape because he's only run in IndyCar and Dakar in the last year because he hasn't had to run even in sports cars this year. So, yeah, normal stuff. I well, my neck might hurt. Let's see what I can do. But he's he's bought thirty nine, so still in his prime. Fans didn't win his championships. He's in the mid forties, so there's plenty, plenty of ways to go. Uh, who was driving a three-seater yesterday? I have absolutely not yesterday, no, Monday. I have absolutely no idea. That was uh, Charles Leclerc. Was he? What three-seater was that? The Ferrari three-seater. What? They've built a three-seater. You've gone very quick. They've built a three-seater F1 car. It's like a new road car. I'm not it's, up to it's, a, it's a F1 car. Um, and uh, he was uh, doing hot laps with competition winners. I've never, heard, I've never heard of this car. It doesn't look very much like a Ferrari Formula One car. No. Uh, Clearly, because so it's got enough space it. to get two passengers in it. Well, they had, they had that Minardi one, didn't they? Which mm. you could sit either side of. Um, is, that, is it a similar concept? I now it's have a pick. concept, yes. I, that's based on a very old car. Yes. That's based on like a 2004 or something, or 2005 car. Um, well, it's you know, it's give you a, a thought about how it. Is. And in fact, I think I remember the thing I always used to say about um, these two and three seats because they never be the same because you're carrying so much weight. But a ten-year-old car with two passengers, extra passengers on board, is about the same weight as a modern F1 car. They got so fat. Uh, going to dip down into Formula Two now. This could be a, a bit of a wobble period. Go on then. Uh, because uh, there will be a new driver when Formula 2 returns at the end of the season. Right. 
I don't know anything about this. So again, I'm, I'm two, two for two for not knowing what's going on. Uh, this is uh, Theo Pusher, who uh, has uh, been moving rapidly up the ranks and uh, made his Formula 3 debut this year. I don't think he's done particularly well in Formula 3, although it is only his first season, but already moving up to Formula 2. Too early, you think? Who's he replacing? Someone who's run out of money, presumably. Yes, that would be the, that'd be the normal way. Um, well, you know, sometimes... But yes and no. Um, there are some drivers who excel when there's more power than as the power levels go up and the grip levels go down. There's some inversely who don't, you know, who, who peak at F3 where you've got more grip than power. So perhaps they feel that he needs... He, he'll be better at that point more likely they probably think rather than spending you know four hundred thousand pounds on a on a formula three season we'll spend six hundred thousand pounds or you know or more on a, on a formula two season see what happens it's all about getting people through quickly now isn't it if you're not driving f1 by the time you're 11 you failed uh Gunther steiner says uh roman grosjean's chances of staying at Haas have not been uh, improved by his result at the weekend when he got his first points of the season in, in ninth place. No, because I think Haas have been effectively made it pretty obvious they want to dump both their drivers and are just trying to work out the best way financially and, and performance-wise to do that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's not a massive surprise. Not as much surprise that Roman is, is gone. The rumour is that he'll be joining the Peugeot uh, hybrid programme for Le Mans. And... Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's not a surprise. I, I, I can't even think that Roman can feel particularly disappointed. He's, he's had a good run. Um, neither he nor Kevin has shown much of spectacular performance from the uh, Haas, whether that's because it's not possible to give a spectacular performance in the Haas, I don't know. Um, so, yes, yeah, so they're look for two new drivers, so one of which may well be Callum Eilat in his Ferrari cash. They may you know, try and get Perez, or they may go somewhere else entirely. May even may even massively surprise us by actually retaining one of the drivers. It's, it's a complete... You know, smorgasbord of options, but I think I think whatever happens, Grosjean's on his way out. They've already said that the drivers they have in 2021 will be the same two drivers they have in 2022. So well, that's wishful thinking, obviously, because you never can tell. But yeah, no. In which case, which is why it looks more obvious that they're going to try and new broom it. I think they, they I think they realise there's kind of a stagnation around that team, and therefore they need to try and um, change it up. And a couple of hungry drivers, you know, some revisions to the cars. You know, just try and move them from this sort of next to last business. Uh, Nick Damon will be back later on in the show with his team-by-team guide to the Eiffel Grand Prix. And you're listening to Midweek Motorsports Series 15, episode uh, number 41. We'll have some more tweets from you in a little while. Just a quick, wasn't the three-seater, the EX3 2001 Arrows? Uh, not there the was an Arrows, but I'm sure Minardi yeah. built one as well, as well as all okay. their two-seaters. I thought all the Minardis were two-seaters. It was for sale. Um, it wasn't that long ago. Maybe Ferrari bought it and painted it red, and that's well, what that monstrosity was that Leclerc was in on Monday. I was going to say, not so long ago. I've just checked it up now. It was it was 2016 when it was not for so sale. Not so long ago. No, I know, but not yesterday either. Uh, as I said, Midweek Motorsport and uh, at Spectatainment, please, if you would, Ryan Parkins will be joining us uh, on the podcast because he's in the Porsche Club GB Sim Racing Championship, which I was reading about my Porsche magazine uh, the other week. Uh, Porsche, sports cars, that's interesting because that's where we move to next, Tim. Yes, but not a Porsche sports car, uh, a McLaren sports car, uh, which will be ah. driven... 
by one Jensen Button, who makes his GT3 debut at Silverstone on the 7th and 8th of November, the final round of the British GT Championship. And what has Jensen not done at Silverstone in Formula One? Well, in Formula One, he's never won at Silverstone. The he's last time he won at Silverstone was never even stood on the podium. Was in Formula Three. 1999. 1999. Chris Buncombe? Yes, very good. Uh, Jay Atkinson has tweeted out to your team and says, I think Oliver's Mount has the uh, rights for the British Grand Prix, uh, for the uh, WEC next year. That's good. I like it. Alan Prosser suggested WEC. You own at Oliver's Mount, uh, I yes. as well. Well, didn't they have some input into the two classic festivals this year? Yes. This The, the people who have just stepped back from running it, the people who've basically put in a huge amount of money um, upgrading the facilities and decided that uh, now that it's of a world-class standard again, that uh, they'll let someone else take it over. I haven't competed at Oliver's Mount, but I have driven around there on four wheels at speed, and it was scary enough in my little Talbot Samba rally, which was a course car. I have never been to Oliver's Mount. Have you not? No. It's wow. one, one of those uh, circuits that I have not been to. I, well, and In fairness, though, Tim, why would you have been there in, in a work context? And I was there for or a rally stage. in a pleasure context. Well, I, it's Scarborough's a, a lovely place here. to go. Yeah, but Scarborough's a lovely place to go. Uh, and the setting for one of the big what will be one of the big films of the autumn period, St Maud, of course. We well, seem to have drifted away from uh, GT racing, uh, which is what we were talking about. Uh, um, yes, indeed. Carry on. Because uh, we also have news from the French GT Championship. Oh, right. Which this weekend will be visiting what they describe as Terrain Inconnu. Really? Yes. Where's that? They're going to Albi, which hasn't been on the ah. uh, FFSA GT Championship calendar since 2012, which means that most of the drivers that are in the championship now uh, will never have been there, and GT4s have never raced there before, because um, in 2012 there was no GT4 in the French Championship. Circuit Albi, um, that's that's just up from Toulouse, isn't it? Um, it's a bike track, though. It isn't really a car track. As far as I remember, it's tight. It's narrow, actually. Two long straights. Yeah, well, so it, it, it well it has a runway right in the middle of it, yes. but you don't they don't use the runway. No, much um, like Silverstone or Thruxton. That's very interesting. Or Croft, they do use the runway, of course. I wonder how long it is. Let me look that up. Uh, it is. It's three point five six five kilometers. I can tell you that. that in, what's that in real money? Two and a half miles? Yes, uh, less than that. Two and a bit First miles. used in 1959. French Motorcycle Grand Prix. 1950 Albi Grand Prix. And Formula Renault. So they've never... Th so they, they had GT championships there 
2002 to 11. French GT Championship race up until 2011. Yeah, okay. Uh, this year's uh, GT race will uh, be will take on the title of the Grand Prix d'Albi, and it's the seventy yep. sixth time that that race has run. Okay, fantastic. Uh, obviously, it's been Formula Renault recently. Uh, Correct. Finally, some Super GT news. Ah, uh, rumours of some big changes in Super GT, which didn't turn out to be quite as big as we thought. GT five hundred, no changes. Right. The GT500 regulations are locked in until 2024. Okay. What has changed is GT300 because at the moment GT300 is governed by the JAF. And that is not going to be the case in the future. Mm. Okay. Um, So at the moment... GT300 isn't just GT300 cars either. The no, GT no, it's GT300, GT3 as well. There are GT300 mother chassis cars. Correct. And there are GT3 cars. And more than three quarters of the grid are GT3 cars. Um, but they want to encourage people to use uh, GT300 cars as well as GT3 cars. But obviously it's very expensive to build uh a car that can only race in one championship which is why they came up with the mother chassis concept in the first place Um, correct but they're now can be front or rear wheel drive as well by the way which like just completely blows my mind can have the engine at either end and it can be front or rear wheel drive what you just turn it round and run it in the opposite direction uh basically yes it's fantastic, brilliant concept. So the GTA, which is the promoter of the championship, is now going to take mm. over the governance of GT300. Uh, they're going to use SRO's uh, balance of performance for the GT3 cars. Um, they're going to create a new mother chassis to replace the current one. Oh, really? Yes. Um, which um, obviously will be all um, tested up to FIA uh, safety standards and then there's going to be a new engine for anyone running a mother chassis car uh, but that has not uh, they haven't made any decisions about what that's going to be yet okay um uh, wednesday means midweek motorsport thursday we've got two feature programs we'll talk about Tora. Uh, in uh, a little while. But is it time to hear from Krilsey now about On The Grid? Uh, well, it might well be. Let's see if I can uh, get hold of Krilsey and then we can ask him about what's coming up on On The Grid this week. Because uh, I think, based on what they were talking about last week... Last week. Uh, the, where they talked a lot about this weekend's Bathurst 1000, that they it's might the big race. Be. It is the big race. It's Australia's great race. Nine o'clock tomorrow... Uh, on the grid, and this is what's on it. Uh, well, yeah, certainly something will be on it. Um, <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll get we'll Crailsy later. See if we can um, see if we can hear from Crailsy uh, actually right now. On the grid returns this week with our annual Bathurst One Thousand preview as we get set for a very unique edition of Australia's Great Race. Every car, every driver, and all the key potential scenarios that could play out are detailed as we look forward to a race that will lack a substantial number of fans, but will definitely have plenty of intensity. There's a full-form guide for every contender, a robust discussion on the pressure facing certain co-drivers this year, and Dale Rogers attempts to predict the winner with numerology, 
I suppose we'll know Sunday night if that's actually a thing. It's a great preview for Australia's great race. The On The Grid Bathurst 1000 preview can be heard at 9pm Thursday night UK time on RS1. Uh, let's look at some two-wheeled action now then. And we're going to start Hurrah. with MotoGP. Uh, and they Hello. were... Nick Damon's still with us. Uh, they were in France, were they, Nick? They were. They were enjoying the, the circuit Bugatti at Le Mans. Um, and they I won't were tell having... you what Samantha called it, but it wasn't no. that. No, let's not. And it was yeah. a, a typical weekend in, uh, in France in uh, mid-October. It was wet and dry at various different times. It was quite warm at various different times as well, though. It got up to 17, 18, 19 degrees. Wow. Um, I mean, that's not really uh, warm. Uh, it's 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 warm for October. I, I, for October, I, I I'll give you that. But 18 degrees is my wearing shorts cut-off point. So oh, if it's only I 17... I haven't had long trousers on since March, and I'm still I'm not about, wearing I'm, long trousers. I'm about 22. Uh, oh, it's been officially a really nice day before shorts come out. Uh, I always liked right. the Williams F1 uh, rule on shorts. Which is? The mechanics. If someone turns up um, wearing shorts on an unseasonably warm day in March, for example, then they have to wear shorts every day until the autumn. Yeah, good. No, that's a bit like what... Well, that's like the, the posties do that, don't they? It's like a, it's a badge of honour of how long they can go on. OK, MotoGP then. Uh, the race that nobody wanted to finish at one stage. People throwing themselves down. Was it... 90 crashes over the weekend. Was, uh, the yeah. marshals at Le Mans were very, very busy, not just in MotoGP, uh, in fairness. Uh, but extraordinarily, after an awful run, really, for home t- home country hero Fabio Quattararo, I'll save you having to say uh, okay. that, uh, Nick, um, he goes away with an increased points lead yeah, over uh, Joan Mia. In, in this championship that no one, no one wants to win, and they're, they're quite disappointed, apparently, um, just preempting something next the, the, the week at the race coming at the weekend um unfortunately it's been confirmed that uh, mark marquez won't be taking part which means he now no longer has a mathematical chance of winning the championship which um, ah. he probably would have done if he could come back any time earlier um mm. the only thing i'd say about the race itself like, i'm just wondering whether whether most gp felt they'd been outdone by formula one at monza and they wanted to have an even more ridiculous podium than f1 had mm. true true Odds, I'm sure the odds on those t- the top three were way higher than the odds of the top three that was in the Monza Grand Prix. It was uh, absolutely extraordinary. Um, it, at one stage, it could have been even uh, more odd, but uh, effectively, well, not effectively, actually, uh, Dan- Daniello Petrucci wins it by a second uh, for the first Honda podium of the season and had it been another couple of laps longer Alex Marquez probably would have won and Paul Espargaro for Red Bull KTM in third place another two seconds or thereabouts further back in front of Andrea Dovizioso for Ducati so it was Ducati Honda KTM on the podium as you see you would have got big odds on that I thought Alex Marquez actually rode very well and what I noticed in very difficult conditions which I think I didn't I thought would have dried up a wee bit quicker I thought we might see bike changes um, towards the last third but it just didn't get dry enough 
But Marquez's riding style, he doesn't hang off the bike as much as anybody else, certainly not as much as his brother. He's very much wheels in line. He's very neat and tidy. He was absolutely the perfect rider. I would still have thought the Honda wasn't the perfect bike. But my goodness, did you see how the HRC um, technicians were celebrating at the end of the race? You'd have thought they'd won the World Championship. They have had a bad year so far. But... Um, well, they've only had one rider. Well, they've had Stefan Bradl, so they had one actual rider. Uh, and they obviously thought it was going to be a cakewalk to another championship. And race one, their their main hope breaks his arm, comes back too soon, he's off for the rest of the year. And they've got his brother, who they'd already sacked, remember, before the season started, mm. um, running through it. And, and he has been relatively anonymous uh, until, bing, there we are, wet race, just out of water. And he puts in a really, really good performance. You know, it's, it, when all around you're losing, losing their heads, and you st- you carry on. That's just, you know, you know, it's, it's a completely valid podium because weight doesn't make it any less valid. No, and and the way Alex Rhodes saved his tyres towards the end of uh, of the race, possibly just didn't pull the pin early enough and spent a couple of laps too long getting past Espargaro, Actually, but Espargaro's always been a difficult man to to pass whatever he's been on. Divizioso at one stage looked like he might do well. Johan Mir looked like he might do well, but faded. Uh, in fact, did Johan Mir fall off and remount no, it's on the 36? Rins oh, it was Rins, yes, of course it was. Uh, third race in a row that Valet fell off, but at least he did it well, early this time. In, yeah. mm. uh, that, I, I, I didn't... I was a bit disappointed there weren't replays on that one when I was the version I was watching, and he couldn't be really terribly. He was tagged on. I think he just, just no, he lost. wasn't. He absolutely wasn't. He, mm. he just, I mean, he barely opened the throttle, and the back end just slipped away. Three, it's the three sort in of a row, thing. isn't it? Twelve. Yeah, exactly. Three, three in a row. We've still got this extraordinary um, situation at the top of um, the uh, world standings, uh, whereby. Uh, Quattararo, who's not won the championship before, leads. Johan Mia is 10 points away in second. Then eight points further back, Andrea Davizioso, who hasn't got a ride next year, and he could still be world champion and not have a ride. And, and I'm kind of split now because I'd love to see Johan Mia and Suzuki take the championship because uh, I, I've always been had a bit of a soft spot for Suzuki. I've had a couple of Suzukis in my, my time riding. Uh, plus, we had a long chat, um, if you remember, with the team manager, Davide, um, at, uh, at, where was it? It was at Dubai, the 24, uh, earlier on uh, this year. Dovi, I'd really like to win because he hasn't got a ride. Um, Quattararo would be brilliant for France uh, and for French sport if he won. I, I, I can make a, I mean, you've got to add Maverick in there as well because he's an, only another point further back. He was a bit disappointing again on the Yamaha uh, at the weekend, he's he's gone off the boil a wee bit, but those yeah. four are still really battling it out with two races at Aragon to come in the next two weekends. Yeah, five races to go, so it is easy to play for. The problem for Andrea is, of course, Dobby is that he doesn't like the the tire. So if it's dry, mm. interesting, his return to form or his return higher up the, came when they went on a wet tire, which isn't good point. He's got issues with the rear tire. I mean, the, he, I, he did I, finish I was, second at Aragon last year, Nick. Yes, but it's a different rear tire, and he hates the tire. This is the problem. His good result at Austria came when they weren't using that tyre in Austria. Um, yeah. um, the, the thing I might, we, we haven't mentioned is that there's only, you know, there's only one rider who scored points in every single race. Really? Yep. And Nakagami. Who's that? Nakagami. 
Really? So he's making, and he's he's next up actually in mid-80s. I've just flicked off that page, but mid-80s points. I think he's got 86 well, points. Maybe you an idea like of his consistency. In the last, in the last one, two, three, in the last six races, he's been seven races. Been eighth, sixth, seventh, ninth, sixth, seventh, seventh, but stayed on. <laughs> Every yeah, single time. Well, I mean, you know. he, he, needs, he needs to score a few more thirds, seconds, and firsts, but it's a it's a, an interesting stat anyway. But I'm, yeah, I'm actually think... in some. Sorry, Nick. I'm actually in some ways quite pleased that Mark Marquez isn't coming back at Aragon. Um, there was some talk about him coming back in Aragon too. Then they might say, no, he might be back next week because he really loves Aragon. Um, I'm kind of pleased he doesn't because I, it would that would take all of the headlines and all of the coverage. And what we've got actually is a and. and I, I, don't get me wrong, I, I'd, I'd like to see Marquez come back. Of course, we all would. But really, you've got to be thinking about him for next year now. Um, and I want to see this championship play out and given the media spotlight that it deserves because it's the most open championship we've had for years because of the inconsistencies. We've talked about this on Midweek Motorsport before. Because of the inconsistencies in finishing of the guys at the top other than um, than Tagger. Um, and we have got a really, really good running to the end of the championship. And I, I can't pick a winner. Can you? Um, I think it's one of... It's going to be either... It'll be um, Fabio, Joanne or Maverick, unfortunately. But I actually want it to be Andrea. You don't think Dovey's still in with it then? No, I think he's just. I think he's got a mental block on the tire. And I think that's too important. He's still in with it, though, isn't he? Oh yeah, no, but that's not what we're talking saying, about. In yeah. my mind, it's 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 basically it's in the mind of Vinales, and that's quite a weird place to be. Um, it's in the rear tire of Andrea Dovi, and that's not anything he can do about. Um, I'm mm. sure Johan Mir would like to actually win a race. That would help. Um, but he's been very, very strong. Remember, he didn't finish two of the first three races. So he's only 10 points behind, despite not get, getting no scores in the f- two of the first three races. So he's had a, a good run. In fact, it was a aberration going finishing as low down as 11th at the weekend. He's, you know, his last few races have been second, fourth, third, second, second. So he's been picking up the pieces and everyone else falling off. Um, Fabio, yeah, I, I think I think he's got to be the favourite. He's won three times you know, and he really just needs to relax, I think. Uh, Mortal 2, congratulations to Sam Laws. It won for Mark VDS and was very, very excited. Finished, um, I mean, in Moto2 terms, he was out in the distance, nearly four seconds ahead of Remy Gardner uh, in second. And uh, Marco Bezeki for Sky Racing Team VR46 in third place. Notice uh, there that we didn't uh, mention uh, anybody at the sharp end of the championship. It wasn't a great uh, weekend for... Uh, for Luca Marini, uh, Valley's uh, half-brother, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, he still leads the award, 150 points from uh, Anea Battistini on 135. Is Marini uh, out for a few weeks or just a couple of weeks? He's done well, broken his ankle, hasn't he? Um, although he walked away remarkably from a, the biggest flick-in-the-air high side that you've ever seen coming down the hill underneath the, the Dunlop Bridge and down towards where you turn in at... Uh, Chapelle, isn't it? Uh, when you turn in there, uh, Battistini in second, as I say, uh, Bezeki in third now, only five points behind. And Sam Laws does his championship chances no harm at all with Marini potentially missing a race or two, but you never know with motorcycle riders. He's yeah. on 128 in fourth place. And in Moto 3, uh, finally, we are going to have to say that there's no championship opportunity now for John McPhee the feisty Scotsman uh, f- 
was taken off this time. He made the mistake at Barcelona in the last race. This time it wasn't his fault. He got taken off in somebody else's accident. Celestine Vietti won by just a tenth of a second from Tony Arbelino in second. So that was another VR46 podium uh, with Arbelino second and Albert Arenas in third, just another tenth and a half further back at what looked awful at one stage for the championship uh, leader coming into the weekend uh, was rather pulled back together. Arenas then uh, now six points ahead uh, of the championship in the championship on the KTM. Uh, it is uh, Ayogera who started 25th or something and got inside the top 10, mainly because I, he had a very good, the Japanese Honda rider had a very good opening to the race. But then in the last five laps, people just kept throwing themselves at the scenery. I don't think he passed anybody, certainly in the last three or four laps, but he ended up uh, well inside the top 10 and got points. Uh, Celestine Vietti for KTM in third on 119, very much still in it, as is Tony Arbelino for Honda on 115 in fourth position. John McPhee in fifth, as I say, mathematically now out of the championship hunt because, of course, don't forget uh, Moto2 and Moto3 did start their season because they got a race off before everything got locked down. Aragon 1, Aragon 2, the next two weekends. Who thinks Andrea De Vizioso uh, still has a lot to offer? Well, anybody has uh, got... He's a, manager. A, a, yeah, yes. Ducati. Uh, Mick Doohan. Oh. Okay. Fine. Uh, thinks he could uh, go to Honda and uh, have a Pedrosa-like effect on the team. What? Injure himself rapidly and then retire? Well, I suspect that wasn't the analogy he was looking for. Oh, okay. Uh, let's move on to British Superbikes because the season finale for the BSB is this weekend at Brands Hatch on the Grand Prix circuit and there are four riders who are still in with a chance of taking the title Uh, they are Josh Brooks, Christian Idden Mm -hmm. Glenn Irwin and Jason O'Halloran no playoff this year of course no playoffs no this this is a more standard uh, a proper what? championship where you get points yeah. and the person with the most points at the end of the year gets the trophy. And the Am title. I not right in seeing that Tara McKenzie still in with a mathematical shout? He's got 179 points at the moment, uh, so that puts him 46. Yes, mathematically, I suppose. It's not going to happen. Right, OK. So who we're picking out of out of that? For well, brands. Irwin has led the championship since the second round up until uh, he got a DNF at Donington in race one at Donington last weekend. Um, Jason O'Halloran is never good at Brands Hatch, so I don't think he's going to... But the Ducati is. That's a Ducati well. circuit, I would say. So, Brooks or Eden, then? Mm. Mm. Well, Given Given that Brooks has got a 16-point lead, I'll, I'll, I'll stick my neck out and say him. Yeah. <laughs> He's got to do something pretty spectacular. He's got to have pretty spectacularly bad luck over the course of... It's three races this three, week. Three races. So he only needs to finish third in all three races. If Eden wins two of them, then Eden wins the title. I... I uh, yes. And, the, and the, the wild card will be not one of, of the riders. It will be the weather. 
and you know it's cold even if it's bright it'll be cold it'll be about tire getting your tires up and keeping the heat in your tires um it's on the full circuit so it'll be keeping the left hand side of your tire hot for the couple of left handers that you have notably at the bottom of the hill from druids yeah graham um, hill and at, at graham hill yeah, well, Graham Hill in particular, because you haven't been on the left-hand side of the tyre since Stirling's mm. by the time you get to that one. Um, and you're coming downhill and you're braking. And if that, to me, will be one of the action areas um, this weekend uh, at the track. And if it rains, well, we've seen, haven't we, Nick, just how difficult it is. I, I thought there was some extraordinary bits of riding that went on in MotoGP at the weekend in bad weather. And it still blows my mind to see people even with the extended knee sliders, getting their, their knees down in very wet conditions. But you're on such a knife edge, aren't you? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, it, the reduction in grip is obviously much more telling when you've only got two compact, contact patches regarding as four. And, uh, yeah, I, I, best I can do in there is, is wobbly fear. So, obviously, I'm completely uh, in all these guys. <laughs> oh, oh, and, and we did, in fairness, we did see that with Quattararo. I meant to make that point with Quattararo at the weekend. Quattararo was riding stiff he wasn't relaxed on the bike and when you when it's wet and you're stiff and, and you're not relaxed it, you, everything you do is more jerky and you could actually see it in the body language of the bike and my goodness if he can do that nick and and, and that it gets him that way when he's leading the championship and it's his home grand prix then i'm going to let you off for, for not feeling particularly confident but you could see it couldn't you in the, in the way he was riding he the way he was sitting on the bike the control movements he was putting in and the way the bike w- was going along it was absolutely obvious to see yeah, I think you, you explain why. It's his home Grand Prix and he's leading the championships. As far as he's concerned, he had everything to lose, nothing to gain. So at that point, relaxing becomes even more difficult. Uh, so that's this weekend and we will... Is that is the final round, isn't it? it is, the final yes. three rounds. So we will crown a champion in British Superbikes in this darkness weekend. on Sunday. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> oh, definitely. The, well, unless um, Eden fails to finish... Uh, either the first two races and Brooks wins them both, in which case it could mathematically be all over before we get to race three. But um, those stick-on headlights might become useful, might they? <laughs> <laughs> it will mark the end of an era in uh, British Superbikes, though. Uh, really? Because it will be the final outing for Smiths Racing, which has been ah. a BMW team uh, first in Supersport and subsequently in Superbikes for a decade. Uh, they are bowing out at the end of this year. Yeah, I mean, that's sad. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm sure a lot of teams will be changing and moving in the short term, given what's been going on around them. But I think that's probably more planned for these guys. But yeah, it's a good, it's a good uh, tenure. Seven years. Twice Super Sport champions. Uh, they also have won uh, the Isle of Man TT, um, and up until this year, they had uh, three. Uh, consecutive years of reaching the shootout in the BSB mm. with uh, Pete Hickman on board. Mm. And Hickey, has that affected Hickey's uh, ride for next year and next year's TT? Because he's ridden for them at the TT as well, hasn't he? He has. Uh, seven times he's uh, he, he raced for them in one weekend. That wasn't at the TT, though. That was at the Ulster Grand Prix. But he has raced for them. Yeah, and he didn't he win uh, six the of the. In fact, no, he run, didn't he win all seven of those at the Ulster. He certainly uh, won. I think he won he six. Possibly, yes. 
That was yes, extraordinary. He did seven. Yes. It was, I, yeah, I thought he did. I thought I thought he did. Um, mm, well, I like Peter Hickman. He's a good lad and he's a very good rider. I, I think still, bizarrely, given where he is in the championship, I still think he's slightly underrated. He's a very good all-round rider. Doesn't mind having a go on the on the roads as well as on the circuits. And not everybody wants to do that. And he's equally at home on on both, which can't yeah. be said for everybody. He, he has everybody. not had uh, a great year in BSB this year. He hasn't. Um, he's been had a bad start, and I don't think he recovered from sixth, it. Sixth, sixth and sixth over the last three years, and he's down in 14th mm. this year. Um, yeah. And as you say, um, I mean, both his trips to Donington has been exactly the same. Um, <laughs> he's come away with nine points from both of them and one DNF at each. Uh, well, we wish all involved with Smith's Racing all the best um, and hopefully all works well for them. That There's no word about what they're doing or whether they're moving on to something else, is it, really? Um, and they're the official factory uh, it, team for it Triumph, It doesn't say, say well. that they are shutting down for good. They're just going to concentrate in other directions, uh, they said in a statement. Um, uh, it, it's what they, yeah, they said it's the end of an era for Smith Racing as a family-owned and operated team, but some elements will continue in a new guise, and we wish everybody involved good luck for the future. So, perhaps in the next few weeks we'll hear something about about that. Is that the end of the bike news? That is the end of the bike news. Midweek motorsport, where we're only halfway. A little over halfway as uh, we're getting ready for our big interview. John Bennett uh, joining us in a few moments' time on the line. Uh, at Spec Entertainment, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, please. Thanks to Dave Alcock, says his wife loved the uh, Pagusa circuit, so it was the nicest looking track she's ever seen uh, for the 24 hours. That sounds, that sounds like you're cleared for a trip there next year. Still to come, more of your tweets on at Spec Entertainment. We'll have Nick and the Formula One team by team. Some more sports car news as we look forward to PLM and some Indy car news as well. It's all in the second part of Midweek Motorsports Series 15. And believe it or not, we're on episode number 41. 40. Midweek Motorsport on RS1. Our guest on the big interview tonight is John Bennett, and I'm delighted to welcome him to Midweek Motorsport. Uh, John has been around the US sports car and endurance racing, and indeed racing in general scene, for probably more years than I would uh, I, I, you would like me to remind you about, John. <laughs> First of all, welcome to Midweek Motorsport. How are you? Hello, John. I'm doing great. Great to hear from you. Uh, First of all, we've got some great news regarding you, and I mean you personally. Quite often we talk about core and we talk about racing with you, but you are coming back to motorsport. You never said you'd retired, in fairness, but we've heard recently that you're coming back to IMSA Racing in LMP3. Well, first of all, congrats on that, and what made you make that decision? Well, thank you, John. Um, well, you know, I... Uh uh, I left the DPI car, uh, you know, about a year ago, and and um, you know, 2019 uh, marked my 27th full season in a race car. Obviously, not all at, at the IMSA level, but uh, uh, 27 years uh, in in Nomex uh, racing, and 
and I enjoyed all of it. And, and always Hopefully it wasn't always the same Nomex, John, otherwise it'd have been a bit smelly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I mean, it's been, a, it's been an incredible ride, you know, to a, to a very high level in the Nissan DPI. And if you remember back, we had a pretty successful 2018 where we were um, challenging for the overall championship till mm. the last moments of Petit. So, um, you know, I, th- I thought that um, I had done it all. Racing had gotten quite expensive um, and, uh, it just seemed like the right time. And, uh, you know, when you, when you're involved in racing, it's, it's, it's a 24 seven lifestyle. And, and I had put off a lot of things that, um, I thought maybe I would like to do and, and, uh, but couldn't because of racing's either it's, it's commitment or it's, or it's schedule. So, um, I had a year off and well, I don't know, I bought a sport bike, tried that and enjoyed that, but it wasn't racing. And, um, looked at a few vintage Porsches and thought maybe, you know, uh, restoring those or enjoying those would be, um, fun. And, um, I never actually got to the point where I bought one, but, um, you know, nothing replaces racing and, mm. and, um, you know, and then, uh, you know, Colin, uh, Brown was, um, was very understanding of my decision, uh, last year and, but he kept in, in touch and we, uh, of course remained friends and every now and then he would say, um, Hey, did you, uh, did you see the news about LMP3 coming to the WeatherTech series? I was like, yes, 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 I have. And anyway, one thing led to another, and and um, we decided to go back racing. You know, um, I, I miss racing. You know, when something is your passion and it, it's taken from your life, especially once you walk away from it, you realize how much you really enjoy it and how much you miss it. Um, but it checked a lot of boxes for us. It, it uh, I didn't want to see um, our, uh, core autosport race team, you know, it's, it's a very difficult time to, to be looking for work in this business because of the, because of the virus. It's just, it's just a very strange time in motorsport. It's temporary, but it's, it's rough right now. And so, um, I wanted to, to keep some continuity, uh, in our race team so that our options would be open and we would be well-trained and lubricated when uh, when racing comes back to full health, hopefully next year. I'll, I'll come back to a couple of things that you mentioned there, John, if I may, in a minute, notably LMP3 uh, and why that was so uh, attractive to you and the team itself. But I've got to pick you up on something there, which is you said you were battling right to the end of that season with factory-assisted cars, let's not forget, uh, in your, what was then an LMP2 uh, 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 chassis. And in fact, what is what we still call the, the Bennett rule or the core autosport rule was brought in the following year so that LMP2s couldn't compete with the DPIs. Was that a source of, of pride or frustration or a bit of both? Because it was you and Colin Brown, your, your co-driver, that effectively forced IMSA into making that decision because the big manufacturers and the big OEMs didn't want to be beaten by a team like yours. Um, it's a source of pride, you know, um, good for you. Racing is not, is not an inexpensive sport. Um, and I, I don't really want to go super deep into my own personal story, but I, you know, I essentially started with nothing, but, but a desire to drive a race car. And so, uh, my early years were not spent, you know, on the karting tracks in Europe. My early years were started, you know, building my composites business. And so, um, to, to compete, you know, you often, you always wonder, you know, 
could I, could I compete at the highest level? And we all tell ourselves that we could, but you don't really know. And so it, it was, it was really a thrill to race against uh, some of the factories and with Colin and Romain Dumas and Loic Duval and, you know, some of the superstars in our sport. And um, yeah, we made, we put a tire mark on them and, and uh, it was, <laughs> it was good fun. And I love the fact, you know how much I I love endurance and sports car racing. I love the fact that in IMSA, at Le Mans, uh, even up to the FIA WEC, that a private team and a non-pro driver, and I don't say that in a disparaging way, John, at all, but, you know, you don't make your living out of motor racing. Um, you know, you, you do it because you still enjoy it. But I love the fact that somebody like you can get into a car and go and drive against those top people and compete for a championship against those top people. Now, there are many people who are into different sports and could buy a sports franchise, whether it's a soccer club over here in Europe or maybe even Major League Baseball or, or NFL. But you can't take to the field and <laughs> you know and be the starting pitcher or the quarterback or any other, you know, or the centre forward or the goalkeeper if you were playing soccer. But in our sport, you still can. And that that's something I believe that's very special. Yeah, it's... it's um, well, you know, I was... I was uh... I was shown the way by a lot of a lot of great drivers back when I was uh, a kid, you know, and, and I lived very close to Lime Rock. And um, I remember, uh, you know, Bob, I remember Bob Aiken's, you know, Coca-Cola Porsche 935 and, <laughs> you know, spinning fire and, and, and lifting the front wheels uh, in the back of the course at Lime Rock. And, you know, it just uh, it, uh, it was done back then. And, and um I hope that it can be done 10 years from now, but it it is, it is tricky. It takes cubic dollars and, um, and, um, and, and a, I guess, um, probably an unwarranted confidence that you can, you can drive at that level because, you know, in the future and, and even in, in my experience, I mean, you're racing against, uh, ex formula one drivers, you know, soon to be current formula one drivers in the case of Alonzo and, and, uh, and Roger Penske's IndyCar drivers. And, you know, it's just, um, to be honest with you, it's, it's just a, a childlike thrill to be in a driver's meeting with uh, Helio and, and Juan Pablo. And, and I certainly enjoyed those days. But it's, it's real racing, that's for sure. Oh, absolutely. I said I'd come back to the team in LMP3, and I suspect that uh, part of, of the answer to, to the two questions about why LMP3 uh, uh, and why now comes to something that you did in intimate earlier on about the team uh, and that goes back to the fact that with core autosports you have been uh, blazing the trail for for Porsche with their uh, works uh, North American works team with the the North American GT team as it, it was called but that was mm-hmm. uh, that was you guys who ran that and uh, if we can go back to the start of that there was one or two people who raised their eyebrows about that if I'm honest John and said oh that's a bit of an an odd uh, that's a bit of an odd choice why why would they choose that that must have been again that must have been a source of great pride but also you knew you could do that you knew you had the right people to make that work and my goodness me you've delivered race wins and championships for that august mark yeah so um it's uh so i, I just sort of two things to say about that one is that um honestly when and I already talked about Bob Aiken. When I was when I was younger, I really became fascinated 
with uh, with the Porsche mark. And um, you know, back in those days, the 944, the 944 Turbo, and and all the racing uh, Al Holbert and the 962, the 956, and and so when um, when we got um, an invitation to speak to Porsche uh, in 2012, mm-hmm. um, I I really couldn't um, I really couldn't believe you know where you know where our little race team had gotten and um, and I had I had been in business for a while and 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 had done projects for you know larger aerospace companies and 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 sort of watched those aerospace companies use our company for maybe some small development work, but then the big production work would go somewhere else, which is disappointing. And so I told Porsche, I said, you know, um, I am, I'm flattered, you know, with your interest, but I, I'm afraid that you're going to get our little race team all spun up and then, you know, pick someone, um, obvious, uh, you know, a larger race team with more experience. Hmm. And, uh, and Porsche said, no, we, um, we're looking for a young, hungry team that we can form in our image. Mm. I said, really? I said, well, we are young and certainly could appreciate or would appreciate the, um, the support, you know, uh, uh, I think a lot of, um, I think what we, we offered them were, was, um, you know, hungry confidence, but not, um, not so without so not so much experience that we are ready to um, to start you know um, outsmarting ourselves. So. Well, and, and, and there was no arrogance involved that they might have got with um, other names, and I'm not going to name right. any of them. But Certainly. but you guys went into it with your eyes open. You were malleable. It seemed very obvious to me that you were prepared to be uh, formed in the Porsche image uh, let's be honest john that's not a bad image to be to be formed into uh, when you no, look back no, at what they've achieved not at all and you know and i think i think that at the end of the day you know our cultures were were very similar and i think that's why our we had Good such point. a successful relationship um and um yeah we learned a lot from them i think they learned a little bit from us as well and right. and uh, and you know, in terms of the confidence about going forward, to be honest with you, John, um, I have a, a manager of, of core that was has been with me from the start. His name is Morgan Brady. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I think he's he is the young um, uh, uh, confidence that I was speaking of. And because after our meeting with Porsche, I, I said to Morgan, I said, you do realize where we're where we're headed. I mean, we're going to race against, you know, um, this is not this is not racing for kids, you know, yes. uh, racing against uh, Corvette, uh, et cetera. And um, he said, we can do this. We are going to do this. Wow. And so um, it's that uh, confidence that uh, when we actually um, uh, landed the program and started racing um, that uh, I relied on, to be honest with you, it was Morgan's. Um, we can do this. I am not intimidated <laughs> by GT Le Mans competitors. And it, I think. Um, you know, when you're, when you've spent as much time as I had at that point, you know, watching these dynasties be built mm. like Pratt and Miller, um, you, you just, you develop a certain respect, yes. um, for, a you know, for what they've accomplished. Um, yeah. And then to finish the story, you know, our, our first race with Porsche was uh, at the Daytona 24, which was our race team's first 24 hour race. <laughs> and, and me personally, you know, in an LMPC open cockpit prototype, my first 24 hour race. And John, I can't tell you, you know, when, when I woke up 
at seven in the morning that uh, that next day and and uh, was was grabbed you know for my last stint in the race car I said you know how bad is it and he's like uh, my my uh, my crew uh, fellow said uh, Mike said uh, it's not bad at all you're leading both classes and um, you know that carried that carried through until you know three in the afternoon when the race finished and uh, what a day that was in 2014 to to win both those classes uh, simultaneously. That makes all um, the all the hard work, all the graft down through the years, there's days like that. Sometimes it's a big win, sometimes it's just a good good performance that doesn't get you a win, but days like that, you've got to you've got to enjoy those because it's called motor racing, not motor winning. Although in fairness, you've had a deal of winning to do down through the years. The, the, the Porsche thing is going away uh, too much to everybody's disappointment. And I know that would be yours uh, as well, at least in the short to medium term. And we all know the reasons behind that. And Pascal Zulinden has been on this show describing uh, why that was happening. He gave of us of his time when that decision was, was first sure. announced. So, Going back then to the team and going forward, if going back and going forward can be done at the same time, um, at revisiting that, is that one of the reasons that took you into looking for something to keep the team together and therefore LMP3 became even more focused and more of a sensible decision, John? Uh, yes. So I uh, I told Morgan when we started the race team back in, in 2011 that, that right now, back in 2011, this race team, you know, it, it hinges on, on my ability to, to want or be able to participate. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, if, if you, in, if you want to stay in this managing a race team position, we need to get to the, the race team to a point where it can move on if I decide to stop racing. Yes. And, um, that's one of the reasons we started looking for other programs, uh, to kind of give the race team uh, sustainability. Um, so here we are. And I think that, um, wishful thinking is that, you know, it's a strange time in, in racing from typically from middle of October to the middle of January. There's a lot of unexpected changes that occur. And I think my fingers were crossed that there would be some unexpected change that would fill the Porsche void. Mm -hmm. Um, but you never know. I mean, that's a that's an intent. You know, that's an incredible gamble, and it's a gamble that I'm asking my core uh, teammates to wait around for in a very very challenging job market. So, not really fair to them to make them, and and of course the the smart ones would not, um, even though they have tremendous loyalty to the race team. You have to go find work, and so I think that. Um, uh, Morgan advised me, do not make your decision based on on anything other than the passion for racing. But to, to be honest with you, um, keeping, uh, giving our, our race, my race teammates at Coral Sport, something to look towards in 21 mm -hmm. uh, in terms of in terms of stability with uh, employment, you know, certainly certainly an important part. But uh, but number one is uh, I really miss racing and, and look forward to, to getting in the car with Colin and uh, sharing the car with Colin and, and uh, getting back to uh, uh, competition. I, I suspect as well, because I know that amidst all of your enthusiasm and emotion for motor racing, you are uh, still a, 
I won't say a hard-headed businessman, but you are a sensible businessman. You have to make decisions based on on the business of racing as well as the sporting side of racing. There are some big changes coming in IMSA and in sports car racing generally, including the new DPI 2.0, as we've been calling it, LMDH or whatever it might be called in the future. With an eye on that, you've got to be thinking, if Court Autosport is still going then we've got a chance of getting something in that. You've proved yourself able to run a manufacturer programme. New manufacturers, I believe, will be uh, enticed into racing. Some of the current manufacturers, I'm sure, will will come back. If core's not around and not still running races, then the old adage of you've you've got to buy a ticket to win the raffle sort of applies, doesn't it? Uh, you're uh, you're very observant, and uh, I don't know if that exactly holds true, but uh, I think it's it's um, if your intention is to stay around in the sport for ten or fifteen or twenty more years, then you have to stay around in the sport for ten or fifteen or twenty more years, and I think that that's yes. uh, part of our strategy. And and uh, we'd love to be part of of uh, you know top level uh, prototype racing and. In 23, if that's when it starts for us here at IMSA, um, I think that uh, I enjoyed my time at the top of the sport in, in 2018 and 2019. I think that when it comes back as LMDH, it's going to look a lot more like professional. Not that what we were doing was not, but but you know, true factory racing. And, and yes. so um, we'd love to support that with uh, with our favorite manufacturer or or. or um, or if that's not the case, um, you know, someone that's that's competitive. You throw a big hint out there, John, which I'm not even <laughs> going to follow up on at this stage. That's a that's a conversation for a, for another time, and and we all hope that that what you were intimating there comes to pass. Uh, I I think it's more likely than less likely, and and I'm I'm going to ask you to comment on this, but from what I've heard from behind the scenes, um, Porsche are working very hard to get back into top flight prototype racing and they want to bring other manufacturers with them uh, and I know there's some very high level talks going on between Porsche and Ferrari at the moment uh, and if we could get those two along with the current manufacturers in IMSA uh, and around the world uh, involved uh, then we could truly have another golden era of, uh, of top level prototype racing which which would allow privateer entries as well of course because LMDH is certainly John, it is geared albeit with a manufacturer edge to it and something the manufacturers can support it's geared towards selling cars to customers. Yep, it would it would be fantastic. And and uh, John, I mean, uh, wouldn't it be just amazing to have um, you know five or six or seven you know top level manufacturers back in prototype racing? Be still my just, beating would, heart, I tell you. It would be amazing. I just want to finish off with a, a couple of thoughts from you about this weekend. It's Motul Patilamon at Road Atlanta, a, a race that you and Core have had great success in down through the years uh, i obviously went to the first one i've only missed one in all the years that they have happened across both versions of of imsa and an extraordinary to me john and, and you've been around the american scene for a very long time extraordinary to me in what is relatively short time in motor racing how petty le mans has elevated itself so quickly to a blue riband event where does it stand in the great american race calendar well i think when uh you know when it was invented you know many years ago um it was a bit of a curiosity 
um, bringing European racing to to Georgia. Um, and I think over the years, um, I can't speak for how the Europeans view it, but it, it is it is one of the the season's iconic races internationally. And so um, like Daytona, like Sebring, it's often a time when you can see uh, European competitors come over and and um, it, it is one of the more um, it is one of the iconic events uh, based on its partic- you know the participation level you know worldwide. And then, of course, any race that's uh, 10, 12, 24 hours long um, is uh, stands alone. I mean, that's that's rare in, in motorsports and uh, um, certainly for our fans, you know, creates, you know, a weekend event. I mean, it's uh, people come to uh, Road Atlanta. And they start coming on on Wednesday, practically, and mm. and, uh, and really have a good time. And so, yeah, it's, it's one of the big races. I think this year, like all like all things this year is a little strange because you, you know, this is the, this is supposed to be the end of the season and, and the day after petite is the first day of uh, the next season. And so not quite the case this year. So I think that's going to put a little, it's, it's being held at the right time, you know, mid October, but uh, the fact that it's not the last race makes it properly uh, strange for 2020. I said that you guys in both prototype and in JT Le Mans have had success there uh, down the years. Uh, obviously, with the COVID situation after Le Mans, you weren't able to uh, do the full season for, for Porsche, which kind of takes you out of championship contention. But it'd be nice to go back and sign off with a couple of three wins, as you say, this weird, weird season. And at Petit Le Mans, one of the Blue Band races, um, the, the Porsche goes well there uh the drivers love it there and an opportunity here to just say it right okay forget about the championship let's just go for race wins uh, i mean absolutely uh, i i know all the porsche factory drivers and and uh i i don't think there's ever uh, a session when they don't go out for overall wins to start with but uh yeah we would, we would certainly like to mark a couple of wins this season uh for porsche um and um, we'll see. You know, some, sometimes uh, Murphy's Law is, is strong, and we just we've ha- we haven't had great luck this year. The car has been lightning fast, um, and I, I think that we've had we've had good luck uh, at uh, Road Atlanta, especially when it's raining. Mm-hmm. Um, it may not be the case this year, but I, I'm 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 very um, optimistic about the last three races: uh, Atlanta, Laguna Seca, and then back to Sebring. Yeah. Um, I think we will get uh, a couple of wins there. Somebody on the uh, on the listeners collective for for Radio Show Limited and IMSA Radio did suggest that possibly you need three um, you need three classic liveries for the last three rounds of the year because they do seem to do very well when Porsches are are done up in classic liveries. Let's finish where we started with LMP3. Um, it's not that far away from the start of next year. You intimated that. We're going to go into into November with Sebring. So how soon do you get an LMP3 car? When do you think you get it on the track? And, and are you looking to do the full season starting in January at Daytona? Well, you're right. There isn't a lot of time. Um, I've been told that by the team. And uh, so there's a, an appropriate amount of uh, adrenaline running through the through the halls of CORE uh, about getting ready. Uh, yes, we are going to run the full season, including Daytona. Um, we have uh, 
car slash cars on order uh, with um, with an LMP3 manufacturer. And, um, um, you know, clearly it's not June, but uh, but there's plenty of time to um, to to get the cars uh, on their wheels, um, maybe a little pre-test before the roar. And, and then uh, um, I'm, I'm sure we'll be on the grid and competitive uh, in January. I noticed you very, very cleverly just swerved past which manufacturer you you might be getting cars from you're an absolute pro mr bennett and it's a pleasure to talk to you um i'm so pleased that we're going to get you back in a race suit uh, and back behind the wheel because i know you will bring your infectious enthusiasm uh, to that in the same way as you have done with core autosports in the past even when you haven't been driving john bennett thanks for joining us well, John, I appreciate that. I appreciate all that you and Jeremy do. In fact, uh, I was standing in the rain in Charlotte with my earbuds in listening to your commentary and uh, uh, always, always look forward to, to being able to do that. And uh, yeah, thank you. We'll see you in, uh, in Daytona. Well, there's more LMP3 news as well, uh, which is that Andretti Autosport are going to enter the Image Prototype Challenge with an LMP3 car for Jarrett Andretti next season. He is the son of John Andretti and uh, nephew of Michael Andretti, who is obviously uh, the team principal. Yeah, and, and interesting that there is still the IPC there, what John was talking about there. And, and by the way, a number of people have picked up on coming back to his desire to come back to LMDH, top level uh, prototype racing with, quotes our favourite manufacturer. I wonder who that might be. Uh, but, yeah, that's different to what John was talking about. He's talking about being in the big championship. We talked about this a few weeks ago, and we weren't sure it was the answer to a question that had been asked. But it seems to have been very popular, and a, a number of people have already uh, said they want to do it, including Core. Uh, Andretti coming in into the prototype challenge, which is the standalone championship, uh, and see where they go uh, from there. Jesse, very... Uh, a complimentary towards John in that. Proud of you. Uh, they say, excellent. Racing got expensive, but wonderful to hear the passion of John Ben 54 says Kevin Payne. Thank you uh, very much to Aaron for setting that up and to John for giving us his time this evening. It is Petit on this weekend, Tim, and we start our coverage early uh, this week. Uh, because it all begins tomorrow. Check the website for details of exactly when we are on air but we've got uh, fp2 and fp3 uh, coverage live tomorrow we've also got qualifying tomorrow for the michelin pilot challenge uh, i don't think we've got that yeah we did have that I, that's gone obviously i i i'm well mm, i don't know I, I that's not one that we normally get to do but certainly fp2 and fp3 for um uh, for WeatherTech tomorrow, I will uh, I will await the responsible adult to let us know whether we've got qualifying. We don't normally get to do that, but then Thursday we've got a very full day. Oh yes, we, we have. We don't normally we get to do Thursday at all. So no, it, uh, that that is very true. So we do have, uh, we do have qualifying for so bags of Billy Bonus coverage tomorrow. Uh, Mission Pilot Challenge qualifying plus. Uh, the FP2 and FP3 sessions for WeatherTech. And then Thursday, it's jam-packed uh, with Two uh, races. races. We've got the yep. Up Challenge race. We've got the Pilot Challenge race. We've got qualifying for WeatherTech. For WeatherTech. 
in sound and vision, all of those that you've just mentioned, by the way, as well. Uh, and then on Saturday, there's the third of the triple header of the IMSA Porsche GT3 Cup Challenge USA by Yokohama, and then the big race. And I think we've even got some warm-up as well. There is a warm-up on, session, uh, yes. I think what, it's the first time that we've had a warm-up session all season. Maybe did, Daytona had one, did it? Uh, I don't think it did, I no. I don't think it did. Um, Petit often does, though, and and I don't know why Petit is particularly different, but uh, so Saturday, and remember the big race is Saturday. It doesn't start until 12.40 Atlanta time, so that's going to push it into late afternoon, and it is a 10-hour race, uh, which is time certain, of course, and that will be on RS2 IMSA Radio. We'll have sound and vision for those of you outside the States, NBCSN, and NBC Network at the weekend with the team up in Charlotte, uh, bringing you the coverage of that if you are USA. Outside the USA, then it's all live, free, and uh, without interruption uh, on the international TV feed, which we'll have streamed on uh, radio-show.co.uk. And it's a big race, and we've got the prototypes back, yes. which I'm very excited about. And one of them, uh, the number 10 car, Brought in a ringer, haven't they? Well, <laughs> uh, this is the Wayne Taylor Racing Connick and Minolta team who are doing very nicely, thank you very much, uh, in leading the championship uh, at the moment. Uh, Three point lead uh, at the moment over people Durrani uh, in the 31 Wheeler Engineering Cadillac. Elio Castroneves and Ricky Taylor uh, are within five points of the lead. So the top three within five points of the lead and adding then to peep, to uh, Renga and Ryan, uh, some bloke called Scott Dixon, who apparently is quite tasty. I think he's from New Zealand. Yeah, uh, he's going to bring a load of lamb. Slam in the lamb at the weekend. Uh, Scotty, another uh, sports car sojourn for him. He does like his sports cars and he's rather good, in all honesty, in anything that he gets into. LMP2, Patrick Kelly, Six points ahead of Dwight Merriman and Kyle Tilly. Not sure if Dwight Merriman's going to be fit uh, to drive. So waiting news on that. Of course, the GT Le Mans and GT Daytona classes have come down from the Roval at Charlotte, which was a big success at the weekend, despite being uh, despite being delayed for an hour because of delays to the Xfinity uh, race because of rain uh it still worked well uh so 100 minutes to 10 hours a bit of a um from the sublime to the ridiculous it seems perhaps. like only a few weeks since we were at road atlanta yes we were that is true we had one of the makeup races there and uh that was the tire act was Prix, was that? September. Uh, yes uh and uh we saw the penske guys do rather well uh, in that uh, uh, as well. Um, we've got some good battles, you know. We have some really good battles um, throughout all of the classes. Uh, three consecutive victories for Castro Nevis and Ricky Taylor. Uh, that's given them a real opportunity of the championship. As John said there, Tim, and this is quite important, normally we'd be talking about championship points uh, possibilities, but of course there's still two more races, mm. including 
the so extra the length, therefore extra points. The Sebring, yeah, Mobile won 12 hours of Sebring. But this is still a super important race. And uh, also there are interim points to be awarded for the Endurance Cup, the Michelin Endurance Cup uh, as well. Uh, Bill Oberlin, they're on a bit of a tear. Robbie Forley, they won on Saturday as well. Uh, so that means 62 career IMSA victories for Bill. Uh, Dylan McEvan uh, will join them at the weekend. They are the defending class winners in GTD. But right, motorsports but have been up there recently as well. They have in the Porsche. Uh, it was a quiet but successful race for Ryan Hardwick and Pat Long um, at the weekend. Another podium finish, though. Another podium finish, and they're tied now with Aaron Telix on one Telitz on one ninety six points, uh, just behind uh, the leaders Matt McMurray and Mario Farnbacher in the eighty six Acura, uh, and who is I think it's uh, Jan Heerlen who's back with them uh, for Matilde Petit-Lemon. Yes, it is, and he was with them for the six hours as well. Watch out for Ollie Gavin. Um, well, I want to watch out. Off. You mentioned Bill Oberlin. Yep. Patrick Long versus Bill Oberlin. Always oh, good. not a battle that you'd expect us to talk about, but this is not a battle on track. This is a battle oh. for the most petit wins. Yes. Well, Patrick has won three because he's won two GT2s and a P2 when he was with Penske, and mm-hmm. Bill will have won three, three yes. as well, uh, with two with a GT win, a GT Le Mans win, and a GTD win. Ollie Gavin's still the active driver um, who's got the most wins, because he's won GTS twice, GT1 twice, and GT2 once. So nobody can catch Holly this weekend. There were people listening to this show who weren't alive last time Ollie Gavin won at Petit, though. That's not true. It was only 10 years ago. Uh, Nick Tandy has also got three wins as well. Now, don't forget, he won GT Le Mans and overall in 2015 when the weather was bad, uh, despite having to be kept lining up every after every safety car behind the prototypes. So 13, 15 and 18. So he's not going to win till 2021. Uh, if you do one of Shears' things, and of course he's not there for Porsche in 2020. No, you see, that's one of Shears' arithmetic progressions. Know? There's about 30 drivers in the field who have won here previously. So 29. literally yeah, anything yeah. could happen. Yeah, absolutely right. Nobody's going to go away with more wins than Ollie Gavin at the end of the weekend, but but either Bill Orbel and Patrick Long or Nick Tandy could break that second-place tie with three victories. Um, it's late. There's going to be more dark. There's going to be less temperature and uh, it's going to be tough and if it's wet if it's really wet the Porsches perhaps aren't that good if it's a bit wet the Porsches are great and Tandy's fantastic Uh, but we saw how good the mid-engined GT Le Mans uh, new Corvette is uh, in the wet as well and our coverage starts tomorrow Nick Damon is still with us, and it's time for his team-by-team review of the Eiffel Grand Prix. And we're going to start with Williams, Nick. 
Yes, George Russell uh, has won this honour for Williams by being the first retiree, and that wasn't even his fault. I think 12 or 15 laps in, he got punted off the track by uh, Kimi Raikkonen in a kind of a kerfuffle at Turner 1. Turn, Turner 1? Tina Turner 1. Turn 1. Um, when uh, three cars went in, only two cars came out, at least in the right direction. Um, Kimi smacked into the car so hard, he managed to knock the tyre off its bead and give him a puncture on the far side. But uh, yes, more about Kimi later. But George, a bit unlucky, um, hadn't been going particularly well. But obviously, in these races of attrition, always a chance for a fast, uh, fast driver from one of the slower teams to get some points. He didn't. He finished absolutely dead last. His teammate, Nicholas Tiffy, also didn't capitalise on um, the carnage around them at the uh, early stage. And I think had what was probably described as a low-key race uh, coming in in 14th. Mercedes. Yes, Mercedes. Well, we had Valtteri Bottas 2.7631885 in qualifying when he swept past Lewis and swept past uh, Max to to prove he is the absolute champion of one-day events. If every race had qualified on a Friday, it's very likely Valtteri would be near the top. Um, And then we had super new Valtteri 0.3751265 as he went battling with Lewis all around the first corner and then came back up the inside on the the second corner and he he showed Lewis what to do. Uh, And then we have Valtteri Bottas, the uh, the normal one, who uh, grained his tyres, locked up locked up quite dramatically brain blaming five spots of rain uh lost the lead um slow was slipping back massively due to he, he lost his tires got a change of tires was trying to pretend it might have been all right because i'm on a two-stop strategy when everyone thought nope valtteri you blow it again and then to save his blushes his um mguh gave up so he lost all his electric power and he sunk back far enough and they retired him so now everyone can say oh unlucky valtteri and actually he'd already been completely useless and was probably going to finish third of a race of three. Um, this is the thing about Valtteri. Valtteri is an incredibly quick racing driver. He's a fantastic qualifier. His record against Lewis is, is amazing. that Lewis is entrenched in that team and is a great qualifier. Can't race. Can't race to save his bacon. He is even less of a racer than, than Jorge Lorenzo. Because Jorge Lorenzo, once Jorge Lorenzo gets out in front, he's absolutely fine. He's nailed on. Valtteri managed to blow those ones as well. So, um, yeah, I'm very yeah, rubbish, basically. Um, I think his teammate achieved something. I've, I've read something in mine about that Hamilton bloke achieving something this week. Uh, oh, that was it. He equaled the record number of wins uh, with Michael Schumacher. Uh, nice part on the podium when, uh, well, on the pre, pre-podium pre conversations when Nick Schumacher, Michael's son, presented him with a helmet. It was a lovely touch, uh, mirroring what happened when the Senna family presented him with a Senna helmet when Lewis equaled Senna's qualifying record. So there's a nice little synergy there. Going through the team. Uh, a question Joe... about this record. Yes. These 91 wins, do they include wins from the season where Schumacher was ultimately disqualified? Yeah. Yes, that's a really good point, Tim, because whilst he lost all his points, he got to keep all his stats. Hmm. So those wins still count. The second place he got, all those still count for his stats. He wasn't, it wasn't like when... Um, uh, Tyrrell were kicked out of the ice. I'll say 1984. I might be the wrong year. And Martin Brundle hasn't, doesn't have those results anymore. They don't exist. So I think Brundle had actually had a couple of podiums that got wiped out from the history books. No, this was just that was a situation where everyone kept their records because it avoided them having to shuffle those points up, but uh, they just had the points wiped off. Um, yes, a good race. I think Lewis drove it, but just didn't quite get it right in qualifying. Good start. Let Valtteri, you know, have a couple of inches, and Valtteri did an excellent job, as I said, in those first two corners. And then he got stalked by Lewis. Lewis snapped at the first chance. 
Um, prior to the safety car, he was eking out a lead and he was probably 10 seconds or so ahead. Safety car made it look more interesting. No idea why there was a safety car, by the way, because it, to me that absolutely smacked to being an Alan Gow safety car. They just they just recovered um, George Russell from a more difficult position under a virtual safety car, and there was a, a crane literally next door to where uh, Lando parked the car. And to me, realistically, that was just a bit of race management, you know, action management. Like Massey had come up with seven or eight ridiculously pathetic excuses for why, why he decided to have a full safety car. That was a virtual safety car. Then it went on for far too long as they let everyone unlap themselves and catch up. I thought all you had to do was let them unlap themselves and they could get going again. Oh, I've got to catch all the way up again. So you're going, God, dear. And we sat there tediously waiting six laps while, you know, it was just manufactured for television. Not, I don't think, Massey's finest day. I think Massey needs to get a... He's done a lot of good things since he took over from Charlie, but he needs to get his eye on the ball about safety cars, virtual safety cars, all that element. Because I don't think he's yet really got the hang of doing it properly. Um, well done, Lewis, by the way. Uh, Renault next. Um, yes, well, uh, team of two hearts. Espen Ocon was going very, very well. Still not as well as Danny, uh, Danny Rick, who's been comprehensively better than him, but he was a bit closer this time. And then he retired with hydraulic failure about uh, 20 laps in whilst running, I think, again, 7th or 8th. Uh, Danny Rick um, managed to get himself on the podium. Uh, a good run, helped by some some clever strategies and also helped by the uh, the safety car enabling him to get a free stop and move himself onto the same tyre strategy as Sergio Perez because that could have been a battle if they'd, they'd had to stay on the different strategy they were prior to the safety car. The, most, the best news about it all is that Danny Rick has broken uh, Renault's podium drought and therefore he, we can also never have to hear about the blimmin' Cyril Beatable tattoo again. That's finished. Thank the Lord. So well, well apart done, from the Dan. fact that we're going to hear about it when it gets done. Well, it depends where he gets his tattoo. If he gets his tattoo someplace you, that you can't show in polite society, we'll be fine there as well. Uh, what did Danny Ricardo forget to do? Shoey, yes. Though I'm pretty sure that shoeys are against COVID regulations anyway. So I think that that would have been severely frowned upon, you know, because you can't actually, you know, shake someone's hand. You can hardly drink some booze out of their shoe, can you? As he does tend to pass it around. Uh, let's move on to Red Bull. Yes, well, um, here we are. Uh, this is this is like the the, the not my surprised face uh, team report. Max Verstappen maximised his car, drove really well, got second. Alex Albon, succession of mistakes, eventually I think was retired through embarrassment. Um, the team obviously said he was retired because there was a stone in his radiator. That was after he managed a flat spot, two sets of tyres, complained that people wanted to race him um, and generally just looked sadder. And t- the thing is about it is Alex Albon is obviously a genuinely lovely guy, but he's looking like a wounded deer as he comes in to do the uh, the post-interviews. And you're kind of being so sorry for him. I want someone to give him a big cuddle and tell him it's going to be all right. The thing is, it's not going to be all right. You know, he's now battling for actually getting a... a, a he, his best result now is demotion. He could just get fired entirely. You know, for the first time ever, uh, Red Bull are talking openly about, yeah, looking at perhaps Nico Hulkenberg to replace him at Red Bull. They've obviously decided they don't want Pierre Gazzi for some reason. Um... And unless he improves his results, well, he hasn't handled the pressure of you must improve your results very well so far. 
Um, his only hope is the car is improving. The car is getting more stable. They bought some updates which make it a little bit nicer to drive. There's a couple of the relatively... The updates is Max gets them and Alex doesn't, so no, it makes him look even well. worse. They got these ones. These ones he got because they, they all ran them with, with limited practice, but he's got all the updates this time. Um, they're going to Portimao. No one's been to. Um, I'm sure they'll get Friday there because the weather's normally lovely that time of year in um, Portugal. It just needs to kind of pull it out. Just need, yeah, he's got a car now that is drivable and easily easy to get into fourth position. You know, let's not let's not pretend he's going to beat Max, but he needs to get it into fourth position. Just leave it in fourth position. That's what he needs to do. Have a completely uneventful, dull, qualified fourth, finish fourth. Hopefully within about 20 seconds of Max. Probably that's asking a bit too much, but you know. Just convince him he can play wingman because at the moment all he's doing is he's just making him having to. Effectively, the only thing he's really exercising is the person who writes a press release trying to put a positive spin on a dreadful event. And again, Max Verstappen, very good. Did uh, Albon deserve the penalty he was given? Yes. Let's move on to Ms. McLaren. Uh, yeah, McLaren a bit odd really because they've they've got a new aero package that apparently isn't working very well, but they're still insisting at least one of the drivers drives it. Um, apparently, it's inducing understeer. They're they're convinced it's going to all homogeneously come together later, and they'll learn enough about it to make it super. But Carlos Sainz was was whinging the whole time about having to drive this aero package he didn't like very much. He whinged all the way to fifth place in the end. Um, also, one of the whinging also seeming quite concern was Lando because Lando who wasn't running the package and was running ahead of Carlos uh, ended up losing I think his battery power it may be something else um, and he ended up just going that slower and slower and slower and slower as they, as they, as they constantly gave him messages you know try alt delete three sets of five and try adding this that and the other and it didn't work and eventually pulled over in a very safe place right next to a crane but for some reason still needed a full safety car and we're looping now. And it still caught fire as well. Yeah, it, just, it, it was just a little bit of heat. The, 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 apparently the reason for the failure was something to do with it was excess fuel ended up in the in the exhaust and that just caught fire and got very, very hot. But it was, it was, it, it smouldered. It, it was no flames that I saw. Uh, we're halfway through and Alpha Tower is next. Yeah, Danny Kvyat um, ended up being the last of the runners, mainly because he had his wing trampled on by... Alex Albon. In fairness, it's not a kind of situation where we go, oh, Alex Albon, whilst he did deserve the penalty because he shouldn't know how long his car is, it was a little bit more confused by the fact that Danny was coming back on the the, uh, the track after completely missing the chicane. Um, and then, yeah, he drove a completely, you know, uneventful race as far as I could see. I don't actually remember him being referred to apart from the fact that, oh, your wing's back on again. Uh, Pierre Gasly got the car to sick, did another great job, looked really quick, looked really efficient, held up people where he needed to hold them up, like Alex Albon, got past people, needed to get past people. Uh, but again, um, doesn't seem like he's going to be considered for the Red Bull seat. So obviously he has, um, as Paul DeResta would allude to, but would not in any way um, develop that thought. He's upset some people at Red Bull. Can't think why. Um, but, uh, yeah, so he is not for the month there, so it's unlikely he'll get the promotion, which is unfortunate. So Do you he think will... he wants a promotion? Do you think he wouldn't rather stay at AlphaTauri? Uh, I think he wants to say he wants a promotion. It's a very good point, though, Tim. Um, there's a possibility that actually it suits him just well to be not promoted because when his contract runs out, he can go drive somewhere else. How many races have AlphaTauri won this year compared to Red Bull? Uh, it's won all. Mm. Uh, let's move on to Haas. Yeah, amazing. We've done so many teams we've broken down before Haas that uh, <laughs> they're doing okay. Um, Kevin Magnussen 13th, and I can honestly say I don't remember seeing him throughout the weekend. 
So that's either I wasn't watching enough minutes of the race or he just passed me by. Uh, Roman Grosjean um, started off by be- being featured in the Roman Grosjean's always moaning uh, radio message, though it appeared to be, you know, with some justification because he'd had a bit of gravel thrown at his finger at 160 miles an hour, which must hurt like heck because there's no protection in the gloves, unlike motorcycle gloves, obviously. They're just uh, uh, fireproof. So he's kind of got an injured finger. Uh, then he wrote, ran a strategy where he didn't actually come in for a pit stop during the safety car and managed to hold on with dying tyres to ninth place in his first points of the year. So well done, Roman. And, and this is the problem with Roman. He's either really, really good or rubbish. And unfortunately, the rubbish races tend to outnumber the really good ones. Uh, Alfa Romeo next. Um, yeah, Raikkonen. Kimi Raikkonen broke the record. It's always good to know how people are counting. Uh, broke the record for most Grand Prix starts, 323. And I read somewhere they said that, that this race won't come in the top 300. And they're right. He trundled around the back. He took off. Um, he took out George Russell, got a 10 second penalty, and Jenny did nothing whatsoever. Antonio Giovinazzi in the, uh, joined his fellow soon to be sacked despite scoring points driver. Uh, Roman Grosjean to become an also soon to be sacked despite scoring points driver because um, he got a tenth his first points of the year all the time with his, with his replacement hanging around the pit in the, the pit box and that's Mick Schumacher who's going to be signed by Alfa Romeo just so everyone doesn't know that so far. Uh, beleaguered Ferrari who yes. are actually near the end of uh, our list this week which suggests they're less beleaguered. Um, not really. Only one of them score points. Sebastian Vettel has isn't even bothering to phone it in anymore. He's not even picking up the receiver, is he? He's, he's just staying in bed and trying to do it like uh, waving, wafting his hand lightly in the direction of the car. Um, just not interested. Managed to have a Sebastian Vettel spin uh, by getting a bit too close. I think it was too close to um, early on, and then didn't really give it give it give two hoots. Um. The only, the only worry is, obviously, he, it's fine being annoyed with Ferrari and not giving two hoots about this job. And, and everyone's kind of gone, right, you've gone home. But it, sometimes it's difficult to turn it back on again when you care again. So next year when he cares and he's, Alf, uh, he's Aston Martin, you know, it's not always, you can't always just switch it straight back on again. So let's hope that um, that's something he can do. Otherwise, he's going to – Aston Martin looks silly and he looks sillier. Is that a problem um, that we've seen with people like – uh, Kimi Raikkonen, for example, when he came back from his rallying break, um, he was all right when he came back from that. To be honest, he was a bit of fired up, but that was actually that was actually a break. I mean, I think on the whole, drivers when they drift tend to keep drifting downwards. It is, it's rare to get a spike back up. Um, you know, Raikkonen was sacked for reasons of the, the mainly that they wanted to put um, Alonso in the car, and he was you know wasn't he wasn't being stellar, he wasn't being poor. Um, went away, did two years in rallying, and then came back and did um, uh, went with with, Red, with Lotus and you know whichever the Enstone team was called at that point, and did pretty well. And then got back into Ferrari again, did the number two job pretty well. Um, but no, he's and then now he's on that kind of like just just trundling along element. You know, I, I think it's it's very hard to suddenly decide you care again. Finally, the only team that had both cars in the points this weekend, Racing Point. Yes, and, they, and the only team that didn't have um, both drivers in three, free practice three because Lance Stroll was either suffering from flu-like symptoms <clears throat> or had a stomach upset, depending on who you, who you listen to. Otmar Safnar, the uh, team manager, decided to give us very um, chapter and verse about his inability to get off the toilet, which was lovely. But you do kind of feel that they could have predicted he wouldn't make the FP3 if he'd been that ill for that long. And having someone already there 
to take over might be an idea. As it was, the person they wanted to take over was only about an hour away in Cologne and, and could drive his very uh, lovely Porsche and pick out. That's Nico Hulkenberg, who's now super subbed for both cars in the Racing Point team. I mean, obviously, commentary is a is a world of stats, and there's nothing. Apparently, commentary now doesn't. It's nothing to do with describing the action or adding things to the action. It's basically you, all you do is you just mention a name and then come out with a stat. Apparently, commentary is stats. I don't, and a very frustrating thing. Personally. And occasionally refer to Twitter. Exactly, exactly. But um, there was a great stat which came out. I thought this is just, a, and um, I think Crofty was chuffed about this one. He says Nico Hulkenberg is the first person to sub to substitute in both cars of a team since, and I was thinking, oh, this would be a fantastic one, like since 1972, you know, for Lotus. He went since 2017, and Toro Ross, I thought, oh, which was, you know, uh, Brendan Hartley. And I think he, yeah, the thing is, though, that, that really stops being a particularly impressive stat where it's only three years ago. You know, that sort of, wow, that's a really odd thing to happen, but it happened really recently. If it's going to be a really odd thing, it has to happen back in the midst of time. You know, Tony Brooks sub for Sterling Moss or something, you know. Anyway, so I, I thought that's, I was so underwhelmed by that. I thought I'd share that underwhelming stat with all of us. Excellent. We can all be underwhelmed together. We've reached the end of the team-by-team -team review of well, the on. Eiffel Grand Prix. one thing. Nico Hulkenberg, well done. Carry on. Uh, where are we going next in Formula One world? We're going to Port de Mal. Which we love. We all do love. We need to see how it works. Recently resurfaced. They're hoping the oil will have come up. And yes, I mean, I'm not, again, I'm not 100% sure about the overtaking possibilities there. But uh, it's a great track to go around. Wonderful. Oh, oh, we might not be going there. Or oh, we might not well, be going there. Well, that's also a possibility. Uh, as Portugal have imposed tougher COVID-19 measures as the virus have spread, including stricter limits on gatherings and penalties for rule-breaking establishment. Antonio I think Costa, Formula the Prime 1 Minister. will be fine. Do you think? Yes, because they've been to other countries that have had similar restrictions in place. Well, they won't, it'll be behind closed doors then. They well, won't it be able to have the people. To be behind closed doors, wasn't no, it? they were trying to sell 60,000 tickets a day, remember? We were joking well, about yes, that. yes, and so were Turkey and so were Imola. And mm. let's face it, then none of them are going to have spectators. Uh, yes, 2072 daily cases today in fact and 400 localised outbreaks across the nation uh, uh, the health minister Marta Tamedo says those hoping to return to their pre-covid lives the disease has not vanished we will be put to a tough test she said uh, domestic gross domestic products shrink shrinking by eight and a half percent in Portugal uh, this year uh, hello uh, sorry thank you to everybody uh, for your tweets tonight, particularly for the kind words on the uh, 24 hour series coverage. Um, and by the way, I, I have tweeted and I completely agree with Nick's uh, synopsis of the VSC safety cars. As I you cannot, said right at the start of the show. I can't, I can't fathom them this year. And, and he's right. The explanations that have come from Michael Massey are worse than decision making. It's Here's not good a question for, a world for you. Yes, cool. Which racing sim is best for which championship? Oh, I yeah, that's a great question. That's so that a great is question. Something we are going to be discussing tomorrow night at eight here on RS One in the Tora Radio Show. That is a very that that's a show on its own. They'll not squeeze anything else in. Surely. We're also going to be talking about the European Touring or TCR Cup uh, in right. Race Room uh, and Ride Four as well. 
Oh, and that's all at eight o'clock tonight. Uh, it's Creelsey. Uh, sorry, tomorrow night. Yes, Creelsey, uh, Shabeki, uh, Tony Shabeki, and the rest of the team with uh, with the rest of their Bathurst coverage, which is this weekend. Of course, uh, we start tomorrow at Mortal Petit Le Mans. Cher, Jeremy, me and Johnny Palmer joining us to help out uh, when we'll have coverage of FP2 and 3 for WeatherTech plus uh, sound uh, for Mission Pilot Challenge qualifying. And then on Friday, it's sound. It's a sound and vision bonanza. Uh, and then Saturday, the final Porsche racer race uh, of the weekend, plus the whole 10 hours, of course. Check radio-show.co.uk for all the on-air times, which automatically convert to the time that you have set your browser to. So you don't even have to do any uh, simple arithmetic. But it looks like it's going to be a late night for us all on Saturday night into Sunday morning, uh, those of us who are in Europe. Important announcement. There's no midweek motorsport next week. I will say that again. There is no midweek motorsport next week. This is we our haven't week had off after our, Le Mans. We haven't had our week off after Le Mans. Our week off after the Nürburgring has been getting pushed back because there was so much happening. So there is no midweek motorsport next week. The week after... Uh, the weekend after this weekend, we do have live coverage of the VL, sorry, D, uh, the NLS, sorry, the Nürburgring Langstrecker Series. Day. Yes, I know, there's too many three-letter acronyms. It's Full Metal Racing on the Nordschleife, not this Saturday, but next Saturday. It'll be Bruce and Snowy back together again as that season comes towards an end. And we'll be back, not next Wednesday, but the Wednesday after there is no midweek motorsport next week. But if you stay tuned now... Oh, one more will thing. Be oh, go on. Uh, those of you who enjoyed coverage of the 24-hour series from Enno at the weekend, mm. they will be returning to Enno next year on the 3rd and 4th of October. That's the 3rd and 4th of October for your trip to Enno next year. Which I've got a feeling is already a clash with Petit Le Mans, isn't it? No, it's not. Is it the week before Petit Le Mans? It does not clash. Oh, excellent. Well, that's good news. And a number of people said how much they liked it. It sounds like a collective trip to Sicily. Uh, Nick, Joe year. and Johnny and I are already going. Well, Nick, Joe and Johnny may or may not be going, depending on whether they're working it and whether we're covering it on site or not. They may not got the choice to go, unless they don't want to work. At all, well, ever Joe's again. Joe's retired, so... <laughs> Many people would say Joe retired a very, very long time ago. Uh, that's it for tonight's Midweek Motorsport. Particular thanks to John Bennett of Court Autosport. They're great LMP3 news and great to hear that they want to be back in the top level of prototype racing as well. Tim Gray was our executive producer up in London. Nick Damon, hooray, was our Formula One and bikes correspondent. I'm John Hindorf and the responsible adult oversaw it all. Stay tuned for a replay of the whole Monza race from the weekend with Johnny Palmer and Peter Snowden. That's on RS1 right after the jingle. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.